Hello, welcome to Graphic Policy Radio. This is your host, Ilana Levin, a.k.a. Ilana Brooklyn. This is the geek podcast for people who love that time Billy Batson denounced Nazi propaganda and did not like that time when Billy Batson wore blackface. Because comics are complicated. And that's right, tonight we're talking about Shazam! The latest movie from DC Entertainment and Warner Brothers starring the superhero formerly known as Captain Marvel, currently known as To Be Determined, but certainly played by Zachary Levi when he's transfigured into a superpowered being, and played by Asher Angel when he is not. Shazam, known prior to decades of lawsuits as Captain Marvel, was created by artist C.C. Beck and writer Bill Parker uh, in 1939. In the 1940s, his comic outsold Superman. Visually signified by some really mighty eyebrows and an iconically dashing cape, this is the character's first big screen adaptation. And joining me into this journey beyond the rock of eternity are two lovely guests. Anthony Otero is a first, uh, is a two-time novelist and a contributor to the Puerto Rico Strong Anthology. He is also a member of the Black Comics Chat podcast and has been on our show once before to talk about Captain, uh, talked about Mr. Miracle. Welcome back. It's a pleasure to be here. Thank you for having me again. And Barry Grass is a first-time guest. Uh, Barry has lived in rural Missouri, Tuscaloosa, and now Philadelphia, much like Captain Marvel. Um, she's the author of Hall of, Wo- of Waters out in August from the Operating System Press, and she's the nonfiction editor of Sundog Lit. Uh, and she and I met through writing essays about music. I uh, was a big admirer of her essay in last year's March Shredness competition, and also in this year's March Vladness competition. And I'm a big fan of her writing, so I'm excu- excited to have an excuse to have her on the show. Hello. Hello. I'm very glad to be here. Thanks for having me. Yeah, me and, and Billy Batson living in Tuscaloosa for a few years, both of us. Yes. um uh, yeah so philadelphia i definitely was like i want a philadelphia perspective and then it all kind of came together and also with like with anthony i was like you know i've read captain marvel in plenty of comics because i'm going to just keep calling him captain marvel probably i might call him shazam sometimes just from now on folks assume that i if i say captain marvel i'm talking about shazam i'm trying to keep it steady i apologize um you know, I've, I've read the character in team comics over the years, like in 52, which is like still the best comics um, c- crossover event series in like probably the last great one. I don't think there have been any great ones since then. Um, so, you know, I've seen him in teams and stuff like that, but I'd never really read the character as a solo character prior to this. And I definitely wanted to bring in someone who had, you know, some more knowledge about the character than I do. Uh, so thank you for helping step in with that. Um Oh, no problem. No problem. Um, I remember, I, re- I specifically remember him um, when I was a kid. Um, it, it, it was just one of those things where we would always debate, you know, who was stronger, Captain Marvel or, you know, Superman. Um, we always debate like, oh, well, you know, Captain Marvel has magic and Superman doesn't. So, you know, it was always one of those, those things that um, it was a debate as a kid. Um, and it's just interesting to see uh, the maturation of the character over the years. Hmm. Are there particular uh, series with him that you felt like were that are really worth reading? Um, <clears throat> I would say based on based on what I've seen, if to really get into sort of uh, the Captain Marvel world, I was really into uh, Justice Society. 
um, mm-hmm. where you know Black Adam, who I'm a big fan of, um, yes. was was a part of the Justice Society. And what I enjoyed was how they tried to really bring in uh, Captain Marvel, and he was still called that at the time, um, into the fold. And they couldn't quite understand why this grown-up hero was hanging out with Stargirl, who was, like, considerably younger. Yeah, a teenager. Um, like she was, like, 14 or 15. Yeah. Um, and they, they had admonished him for this. Um, and I think at some point he had to reveal uh, his true age, which, of course, freaked out everyone. Um, so that was... I found that to be very interesting. Um, if you've read Kingdom Come, that was a great version of um captain marvel um because it really really showed the pull between god and man um and that that whole series it's not just for captain marvel but that whole series is amazing um and then i would even go further um back and say uh if you were reading comics when crisis on infinite earths came out in 1986 um he has definitely a, a big role to play i mean not as huge obviously as superman but um but just how he fit in the universe at that point i found uh, very fascinating well thank you for those suggestions i i actually did read a couple issues of the power of shazam and the lead up to this uh jerry ordway is sort of like the i think probably the biggest shazam fan in the world and he's a really wonderful comics artist and writer and i i know he loved the character greatly and his his comic actually was a digital version of it i think was a promotional giveaway during some of the screenings um and he's given the film his blessing of course you know he works in comics professionally and i think it would probably be awkward for him to say he didn't like it but i also you know he's a mensch and i i believe that he liked it because he said he did um but uh so the movie sort of has that approval from like the number one the number one uh, Shazam fan, as it were. Um, so, you know, I want to start this off by talking a, a little bit, per, you know, uh, a little bit about the movie without spoilers first to help people decide if they want to see it, because I know that, you know, everyone's going to watch Avengers Endgame, but maybe not everybody is planning to see Shazam. So let's start off by helping folks make a decision about whether they want to see it or not. And then we can dive into the spoiler part. Um so, you know, for me, I, I actually almost didn't see this movie at all. I, sorry, I saw the, the trailers and, you know, if there's one thing I don't want to watch, it's a grown man acting like a boy. We see <laughs> enough of that in movies already, especially in comedies. Um, and so, like, the entire premise of watching this on screen uh, was really unappealing to me. Um, but, you know, Rosie Knight and a few critics whose work I really respect went to like the super early screening and all came out saying, holy crap, this movie is great. And so with that, I said, okay, I'll check it out on your word. Um, so, um, so yeah, so, so because, you know, because critics who I respect said that it was really great, I went to see it with really high hopes. Um, I enjoyed the movie. I didn't love it. Um, I, I think that for me, it suffered from the fact that I'm still really, I, I'm still really, I had such a deep emotional connection and enthusiasm about, uh, particularly the scroll in Captain Marvel. Like, yeah, yeah, Captain Marvel. I'm sorry, the, the Marvel Captain Marvel. Yeah, yeah, Captain Marvel. She's cool, but like, I have so many scroll feelings. The fact that I didn't have a, a similar moment in Shazam that was 
as like meaningful for me is probably why it didn't do as well for me, even though I think structurally there's a lot of ways this movie is better. And certainly I think this is a movie that, you know, parents and kids who are kids who are old enough to not be scared by the intensity of some of the monsters will really like. I mean, the first thing I did as soon as I left the theater was a friend of mine in Philadelphia uh, is becoming a foster parent. And I, I told her, hey, I don't know if you're planning on seeing Shazam, but this is a movie about a diverse foster family in Philadelphia. So I think you'll probably like it. And she was like, that does sound lovely. So I think like for certain kinds of audiences, it'll be particularly powerful and good for them. And definitely the pieces about found family and also in non-traditional families, I feel like we're really... Uh, what was most exciting and meaningful to me from the film. Um, so I like it, but I'm not like crazy about it. It would be my, would be my take. Who wants to offer their own spoiler free quick thoughts on the movie? Um, I went into this movie um, with like little expectations. Um, and, you know, we, we talked about it. We weren't really, I wasn't really sure I was going to see it until, you know, you had said, eh, maybe we should watch it. So I was like, all right. So um, I, I actually, I enjoyed it because I had zero expectations for this movie. I mean, at this point, I have zero expectations for any DC movie. I'm not going to lie. Um, <laughs> but this one was, uh, this one was a surprise to me only because it was light. You know, it wasn't, it wasn't dark uh, as we've come to custom to um but it wasn't all over the place like aquaman i always felt aquaman mm. to that in the trailer and i i really enjoyed that cool oh, oh you know and and actually i was gonna say you know i don't see every superhero movie that comes out i actually had planned to see aquaman and then i ended up not seeing it when i found out that the bad guy was the environmentalist when to me the whole point of why aquaman is interesting is that aquaman can be an environmentalist so right. i said you know, I don't have time to this. Goodbye. Um, so it really was for me a question. Like, I don't, I don't see every movie that comes out. It is a question of quality. Um, so I do want to give that context for my decision. And Barry, what did you think of the movie? So I, I, my draw to it was basically Philadelphia. Uh, I have no experience with the source material personally, so I had zero expectation for the film as a film, really. I wanted to see the Philadelphia-ness of it. And I, I must admit to being a little, like a general premise, um, as you mentioned, uh, Ilana, of this like boy wishing for a kind of manhood or a man acting like a boy dynamic. I was worried about that. Like, I remember seeing the, the cardboard cutouts at the movie theater of... of Shazam with a cell phone and like blowing a bubblegum bubble and I was like, mm -hmm. oh, this this just reminds me of the vibe of too many of our elected officials right now. <laughs> just stole my heart. Oh my god, Darla's the cutest <laughs> child I've ever seen. I, I want to see that that young actor in so many more films. She was great. Uh, really, I feel like maybe the final climactic se sequence of fights is a little protracted a little drawn out for me but mm -hmm. but but otherwise um that was more enjoyable than i expected cool and, and you're you know, you're also coming as this as someone who like like doesn't go to see every single superhero movie that comes out or anything like that you have a discriminating taste around such functions i'm not sure if it's discriminating so much as just not bothering with most dc films typically until mm -hmm. they're streaming somewhere because i'm mm -hmm. a 
comics wise, I'm like a Marvel girl mostly. Yeah. Going back to childhood. So it's just like, what do I have experienced then? What can I compare to my memories, et cetera, et cetera. Got it. Cool. Um, you know, it's, I feel like my, my feelings about the movie fluctuate a little bit depending on how much I'm thinking about it on its own versus what I'm comparing it to in my head at any given moment. Um, so I definitely say I'm in flux, but I guess I would say the folks that, um, I, if you're wondering if, if, if you like superhero movies, this is a, this is a good superhero movie. Um, and I think that parents and would probably find it particularly good. And I think it's hard to say, like, particularly if you're me, like, I don't really know what's too scary for kids of certain ages, but, um, I think that, uh, it could be really meaningful for, for especially kids with blended families, um, kids who are, uh, adopted and things like that, I think could find it particularly meaningful for them as well. Um, I guess with that, let's move into the spoiler, uh, section of the episode. Um, I will say that, uh, so, um, starting the movie with the supervillain origin piece was interesting. I, I, I thought that that child actor was great. And I thought that Mark Strong as Dr. Savannah was great. Um, I, I like comics, Dr. Savannah more, he's more fanciful and really a pretty far out there character. I mean, he's had a million different characterizations over the years, so I can't even say that there's one in particular that I like more than the other. But I thought that um, I understand why the movie chose to play Dr. Savannah in a much more straightforward way rather than a weird fanciful way, because Billy is fanciful, not Billy Shazam is fanciful enough. Um, And if they were going to have Dr. Savannah be more of a traditional villain, giving him this sort of childhood experience of being rejected for not being perfect and also showing the wizard as flawed, right? Like it's pretty clear to me, at least as an adult viewer, that what the wizard did to him, to Savannah as a child was completely a- abusive thing to do to a kid. Um, so you're like, yeah, of course you're messed up. Yep. <laughs> um, uh, so I think if we're going to do it that way, that was a cool way to, to sort of make us have some investment in stakes and what happened with them. Yeah, absolutely. Um, I liked Mark Strong a lot. He actually kind of looks like him a little bit. Um, I wasn't expecting that uh, that aspect, but um, and I'm glad he wasn't played like I like when when I've seen Silvana in in comics. I I always had pictured him as with this really uptight voice, like "Hey, we're gonna get this person." Like I, I felt like like that type of voice, but to sort of see the deep voice or hear the deep voice of, of Mark Strong and the way he played him and he's a fantastic actor um, I was very excited like from that point I was like okay I see the type of movie this is going to be um, with with the introduction of Billy at the start of the movie um, interesting I I think that I think I, I think every single actor in this was great so just take that as a Mm-hmm. Elana thinks every actor in this is great. Um, it was interesting to me because I think like stealing the sandwich from the police officer and like <laughs> locking them in the, which was such an ingenious little rapscallion of a moment, is kind of the only fun and playful thing that he does until he becomes Shazam. Yeah. Um, I think like Billy. And, the thing with Shazam is we always talk about it as being like wish fulfillment. You know, Shazam is the story of a, of a boy who gets to magic ability to suddenly become not just an adult, 
but like the adult of his dreams and this embodiment of traditional masculinity with like the bulging muscles and the handsome face and he gets to skip all the awkward puberty stuff that comes in between you know he never doesn't have to get acne and like deal with getting rejected going to the first dance or whatever he gets to go straight to straight to that you know idealized moment and and so people really do talk about it as wish fulfillment and was interesting to me because I didn't get the sense from this particular Billy that becoming this particular Shazam was his wish fulfillment. If you know, it felt like Billy wanted to be an ad- Billy wanted to be an adult in this movie just because he wanted the independence to be able to go pursue his mom. He yeah. he wasn't he you know he did he clearly sort of said like look I don't want to have to uh, you know he wanted to be he was kept escaping from running away from the foster homes he wanted to not be dependent on them but it was for the purposes of finding his mom which is you know, a, a yearning that's definitely tied to, 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 to being youthful in some ways as well. Um, so I couldn't quite figure out if I thought that that connection made sense made sense to me. Um, I don't know if you had thoughts about that, Barry. I mean, I kind of felt like through the the magically granted adulthood, yes, Billy was able to to get a kind of independence, but there's also a sense of responsibility to family to community that comes with adulthood and that was mirrored in the responsibility that comes with superpowers to me so i Mm. felt there was a workable connection in terms of there are things that come with adulthood that you don't necessarily ask for Mm -hmm. if you're the kind of kid who wishes they could just grow up a little quicker and what do you do when those responsibilities are suddenly thrust upon you Got it. Yeah, no, that's a good point. Um, I also just thought it was so interesting to see like this very, I mean, we just, Billy is never as childlike as he is when he's Shazam. Like, I think it's interesting because teenagers put on a lot of effort to see more adult than they are. At least that was me as a teenager. That was also me as a child. Like I spent my entire youth trying to come off like a grown up. Um, And then, you know, you get older and you're like, oh no, I actually like all these kid things and that's fine. Um, and uh, so I, like Billy trying to come off as sort of more mature, especially in comparison to Freddie Freeman, his um, his roommate, now foster, shared foster brother, uh, is like, seems like, yeah, that, that a, a young teenager is definitely going to be trying to come off as mature. And then once he is in the body that is clearly adult, he has the freedom to be the awkward clownish kid that he would might like to be if he was under different circumstances too. Right, 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 right. I, I, I just, what I found very interesting was just how it, how it was portrayed that he was uncomfortable in, in his own skin. You know what I mean? Like he was uncomfortable being this adult, you know what I mean? Like he enjoyed it, but you knew he was uncomfortable doing it, you know, and I, that was something that's very hard to sort of play, you know, even as an actor. It's like, how do you play uncomfortable in your skin? Well, uh, he did that very well. Zachary Levy did that very well. So I, you, yeah. you definitely, for me, got that that thing like I'm an adult now, but am I really? <laughs> you know, people talk about this movie a lot with respect to Big, um, the movie where Tom Hanks becomes right, right, uh, right. is a little boy and wishes on, you know, and becomes an adult quickly. And, you know, the movie has a straight up tribute to it when they have the a part of one of their fights takes place on a, a, a piano that you walk on, like that FAO Schwartz scene in Big. Um, but one of the things that Big did that I think was really complex 
and would have not been handled the same way if it was being today and that I noticed here was like in big Tom Hanks has an adult love interest when he's a teenage boy right. and like it probably has something to do with my age when I saw big but I feel like other than the piano thing, the main other thing I remember from Big is I remember him feeling up her boob and being like, whoa. So it was interesting choice to me in terms of like being a kid in an adult body for this movie and being uncomfortable in your skin. Like the movie that's made in 2019 is the movie where they don't have an adult uh, love interest complicating Billy being a teenager in an adult's body. And I think in so many his superhero movies are you know, having a love interest, even if they do a bad job of it and it kind of comes off like a beard, they usually like to shove one in there. Um, and I think having him be a, a, a child, especially like, you know, in the comics, I might be wrong. Doesn't like Billy and, and Mary Marvel are prob are they do they have like a romantic in, in, interest or is these really or are they siblings? This shows my ignorance, I suppose. I don't think they're siblings, and I don't, you know, it's interesting, I, I, as I think about this, I have never, I don't think I've ever recalled, except for when I was telling you about Stargirl, uh-huh. uh, Captain Marvel, Shazam, having uh, an, uh, a love interest or anything really to that nature. I would have to look at it, but I don't uh-huh. think Mary Marvel okay. is that person for him. Got it. <laughs> She's just that person for people who draw lots of fan art of her. That's okay. Um, well, yeah, I liked her when she became corrupted, but that's because, oh. again, I'm a Black Adam fan. So <laughs> Black Adam is awesome. We will actually definitely get to talk about the character Black Adam near the yeah. end of this. Um, so uh, Black Adam, for those who don't know, is an antagonist of, of, of Billy Batson uh, in the comics, who's just a great character. But anyway, um, but so I thought it was interesting, like the, the movie sidestepping, having that sort of question, and because it's you know adults and kids is not an equal relationship, even if it's an adult and a, a kid's body. So I thought that was like a very 2019 thing for them yeah. to realize that they shouldn't be messing with. But I found interesting though that the, the love interest wasn't necessarily love in the sense of romantic love. I think that they replaced that with his with the relationship of his mother, which is oh. complicated and messy. And I'm surprised they went there. I really loved how they resolved that. I mean, that whole scene with the acting between him and his mom, mm-hmm. how clear it was that she was like currently being abused at present. Mm-hmm. And that there was reasons why they he couldn't live with her, and him sort of realizing that his you know foster family is his family, like, that just all came together really well. I was mostly just thinking about the, I mean that it was like refreshing to to lack that straight up romantic side mm. plot, um, but also, yeah, I guess it was mostly just replaced in a way with with the relationship between Billy and his mom and just the general sense of, of belonging, which is a kind of finding a love and acceptance within yourself. Mm-hmm. It makes me want to talk to children about this movie who have seen it, honestly. Uh, I'd love to know how the, the arc of Billy realizing that he does indeed have a family plays with children. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I mean, it's also just refreshing to have a movie where, like, the adoption, where the adoptive family, the foster family, are so just like awesome. Yeah, I mean, the both of the parents are have such a great attitude, are so like liberatory with their kids, really. And then this house of these really diverse children, um, you know, it was exciting to see, uh, you know, a, a young boy who 
you know, who's like played by like a, a really big kid, like, you know, being portrayed like a sweet person who's thoughtful. Um, I guess uh, Pedro Pena is the character's name. And, um, and you know, having it sort of be this, ma- this multiracial family as well. Yeah, the, 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 the family theme also, I think, helped. Um, and, I, and I will say that it's also refreshing to not have to witness, like, a death in the, in the mm. traditional sense, you know. Because usually, I mean, it, no, I'm not going to spoil Aquaman, but, you know, there's always something that happens where you're just like, oh, well, well, that sucks. You know, Billy didn't go through that. It's not like he, he came home and, like, his foster parents were dead. You know what I mean? That didn't happen, right. thank God. You know, mm-hmm. um, in a different movie, maybe? But it's so, to me, it's so anti-Batman in that sense. Like, everybody survived in some way. Uh-huh. You know, he still has family. He can come home to and feel, you know, some sort of love, you know. And right. I, I can't believe I just said anti-Batman movie, but that's what it feels like. <laughs> yeah, I mean, even the final credit sequence sort of set it up as a juxtaposition, like to yeah. take the piss out of Batman almost. Yeah. But yeah. it has some respect. You know, one thing I like that isn't my, my own little theory that I don't know if was intended is... Uh, in the in the battle scene where you see one of the kids throw the batarang and it cuts Dr. Savannah's head a little bit and he bleeds. Like the movie explains that as being because he had sent out the some of the of the sins out, you know, so he was weakened because he didn't have the power of all the sins in him. But I just thought about it as it meaning like, you know, magic can hurt magic because they, they specifically like right before that even say like, you know, only magic can hurt magic. The, you know, these bullets won't hurt or whatever. Um, so it made me feel like, you know, Batman's tools are magic. And since we know Batman is not literally a magical being, then it's that the belief in Batman that Freddie Freeman has is a magical belief. Like, you know, clap your hands and, right. and, uh, and believe. Like, and then the movie talks about that in terms of the power of flight as well, like the power of belief. Yes. I didn't even, yeah, that's, that's a good point. Which reminds me, I want to talk about Jesus imagery, which there was only a little bit of in the start, but I feel like this movie obviously looked like it was supposed to be a Christmas movie. I'm very confused that it wasn't released around Christmas. This takes place during Christmas. There's so much Christmas stuff going on. But aside from that, you know, there's a fair amount of, of, of Christian imagery. Like you have the, the fact that the song that's playing when Savannah is in the car in the flashback is like, uh, it's like not just any Christmas song. It's not like Jingle Bells. It's like a it's a Christmas song about do you hear what I hear? It's about the yeah. birth of Jesus. Yeah. And then when you see Billy Batson first, he's I mean, after after one of the first things you see him do is you go to this house that has um uh I forget what the the Holy Family or whatever, like in the statuary of their yard, and he approaches this house like a visitor you know, asking to be welcomed in. And then it's, he's rejected because he's not actually their son because he's like literally not actually their son. Um, So it sort of caught, it kicked off with, I thought like a lot of religious imagery. I don't know if anybody else picked up on some things like that. They'd want to jump in with. I'm not sure. I, 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 I'm not sure I've seen, I saw a lot of religious imagery. I have to really think about it, but I did walk away thinking, is this a Christmas movie? Like if this came out in December, <laughs> you know what would that mean? Because this obviously happened around Christmas. Yeah. You know, with with the running Santa Claus, which was probably one of my favorite points of the movie. Um, yeah, there's no there's no year round Christmas obsession in the city of Philadelphia. <laughs> Speaking of someone who lives here, uh, thank you for clearing that up. Yes, just as our resident Philadelphia correspondent of the podcast, it's definitely a seasonal vibe. Mm-hmm. You know, and I feel like. <laughs> 
it's interesting architecturally is like that scene with the nativity scene that you spoke of the first like mother scene um i wasn't even really thinking of the nativity scene so much as thinking wow they have yards this is like (laughs) this is like (laughs) north northeast philadelphia this is outside of the city uh but uh, yeah there was a nativity scene there wasn't there Hmm. yeah (laughs) and it's not like it had to be um, like they could have used other kinds of Christmas decorations, right? Right. Like, right it could have right. just been rain, mm-hmm. reindeer and Santa Claus. So the fact that it is Jesus and not one of those more secular yeah. Christmassy mm-hmm. things, I feel like has to be a choice. Sorry, Anthony, you're saying? No, I was going to say that um, commenting on, on what Barry was saying that um, when I see movies in New York, I can pinpoint where they are. You know yeah. what I mean? So I totally understand that <laughs> backyards. Well, we know what borough they're not in. <laughs> yeah. 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 So, I mean, yeah, Barry, let's dig into it. Like, Philadelphia, like, what did you think it captured? What do you think, what would you have added from the Philadelphia perspective if you were making the movie? I think maybe the most accurate to Philadelphia aspect of the movie was that in the very beginning, yes. the cop was yes. eating a cheesesteak from Gino's. Yes. <laughs> and G- yes. Gino's is, is, is somewhat infamous for having some mm-hmm. controversial views on uh, non-native English speakers and, yeah. and immigrants. Yeah. They're uh, banned. They're bad. Is, I, yeah. Yeah. You they're, clean that up very well. You clean that up very well. <laughs> yeah. Like, I, like I'm, the conference that I work for is going to be in Philadelphia this summer. And, like, all the locals were like, hey, we just need you guys to know not to do anything with Geno's in case you didn't wow. know. So now I know. Yeah, it's yeah. not a good look. Uh, it's, it's a very cop look, though. Yes, uh, it's, very, it's a very cop look. I thought look. the same thing. <laughs> I, I, when I, I've been to Philadelphia a few times, and I was always told by, by friends, do not go to Geno's. So to see that bag, I was just like, hmm, okay. <laughs> and that and was also... Is... Oh, go ahead. Go ahead. Go ahead. Well, I was going to say, that that scene also was a scene where I was able to give, like, a, a breath. I was holding my breath during that scene when Billy was all like, Oh, golly gee, officer, thanks for coming. So I was like, oh, this is what this movie thinks pure of heart is. Oh, no, I'm in the wrong movie. And then Billy pulls the, the prank on the cops. And I'm like, okay. Yeah. And I relaxed and settled into the film. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. I, I, that was that was the one thing I was also going to mention before was that it was almost, in a way, refreshing that the wizard couldn't find a pure heart and found Billy, and he's just as flawed as the rest of us. I mean, I think I've always been done with the notion that our heroes need to be a perfect replica of what a human being is, you know? So, yeah. Yeah, I, I, I also thought, like, you know, one of the reasons we know his mom is a mess is because when she sees Billy being taken care of by the cops, she's like, this is good. <laughs> um, yeah, I, yeah. I, 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 one, one of the things I've definitely known about the Philadelphia Police Department for a long time is they're really bad. Um, I spent about two weeks in Philadelphia around the Republican National Convention protest in 2000, mm. just like doing jail watch because they literally mm. arrested everybody, including people in the Independent Media Center, including... Um, like journalists and they punched women in the face like they're powerful and of course that's also where i learned and i feel like most people in america who aren't either from like black liberation communities or from philadelphia might not know about like 
the move bombing. I mean, the police mm-hmm. of Philadelphia literally bombed people in their homes in West Philadelphia, a black activist in their homes in West Philadelphia in the 1980s. And so when we saw like these police helicopters in Philadelphia, I, my first brain was like, I know that they don't mean for me to think about this, but this is absolutely what I'm thinking about. Um, and a lot of audience members in the city think about those things too. Uh, let's not forget that Philadelphia is a majority black city. Um, and I feel like the film wasn't, was not necessarily reflective of that. Like a diverse cast by Hollywood standards, perhaps, but I don't think this depiction of Philadelphia reflects its actual ethnic makeup. So that's another Philadelphia uh, observation of mine. But yeah, it's uh, those those kinds of things are are felt kind of palpably in screenings of films like this that take place in Philadelphia. It's funny audiences will like latch onto small inaccuracies about how the city is depicted in in whatever television show or movie. I was talking with um, Anthony Oliveira yesterday for an episode we were taping and he had seen the movie and he's a, like a Torontoan and he's like this really he's like speaking as a Torontoan this movie really felt like it was in Toronto I was like oh okay I I would not I've been to both cities certainly spent more time in Philly but I was like did you feel like Barry did you feel like it was shot in Toronto at all or it's all wrong so ah, wrong it the subway is. stations were and I gotta say an admirable amount of attention paid to the signage of SEPTA, uh, <laughs> Philadelphia's uh, public transit. Uh, the the Market Frankfurt line, which is the subway that Billy gets on after running away from the school bullies early on in the film, he like uh-huh. climbs a fence and suddenly he's at a subway station. Um, and my showing was like laughing at that point because that all of that was very, very anachronistic and incorrect for Philadelphia. Uh, that that kind of school and the houses around it and that much greenery would be around that subway. Impossible. Station looked wrong. The subway car was wrong. But the signs were oddly correct. So someone <laughs> paid attention to the Google images in the art department of Shazam, at least. Yeah, that that happens in the that happens in films based in New York all the time. Like signs are correct, but I'm sorry, there is no train <laughs> above ground past 125th Street. You know what I mean? <laughs> so when Spider Man is like saving all those people from this runaway train, I'm like, where do they think we are? Yeah. So, but I totally understand that. I um, one of the things I thought actually don't, I don't know if this is from if this, I don't know if this is from the comics. Is there any Philadelphia connection with Shazam in the comics? I don't think so. Um, so I believe I think, he's in Fawcett City. Oh right, Fawcett City, fictional because DC yeah. and and Fawcett Comics and all that they're all very fictional. So I I think that they chose Philadelphia because it's the city of brotherly love and like that's really True. one of the themes of the movie, right? It's like right. developing your sense of brotherly love with your found family. That's my best guess, at least. That's a good guess. That's that, that makes sense to me. Um, the they do, however, crush the love sculpture with some with a falling Ben Franklin head, and that made me very sad. Mm. Oh, that's right. It's just like a it's like a blinking. Yeah. I'll miss it. Like I love yeah, that love sculpture. It's, it's the what fell was is is actually a statue of Billy Penn, 
and not oh. Ben Franklin. That's what's on top of the City Hall building in Philadelphia is William Penn's statue. William Penn, William Penn signed uh, the Treaty of Shackamaxon with the Lenape Lenape people to, you know, build the city of Philadelphia on some land. And as is always the story of American settler colonialism, William Penn kind of quickly took back a lot of the stipulations and provisions signed on the treaty, and um, an ugly mess was made. But that's that's the person who's honored on top of City Hall, is the, the man who signed the treaty with the Lenape Lenape to make Philadelphia. And gotcha. his his head crushed the, the Robert Indiana love statue. So that's pretty accurate, then. Hmm. Uh, yeah, William Penn crushing crushing love. Yes, there's, there's some <laughs> historical accuracy there, I suppose. <laughs> Excellent. Um, let's talk about the seven deadly sins. I... In, you know, this is something that is like from the, the, the Shazam origin story in comics is really iconic. And uh, the way they've the, the, the seven deadly sins are drawn in the comic is, is very cartoonish. Sometimes they sort of almost look like racist caricatures to me. Oh, yes. Yes. Right. It depends yes. who the artist is. Yes. Um, and I was really curious what direction they would take the seven deadly sins in for the movie. I mean, for one thing, you've got to deal with like, how do you depict lust in an all ages? Not all ages, but whatever. PG-13, I'm guessing. Movie. Um, I, I found that the, the special effects for the seven deadly sins were, you know, all perfectly good, but I thought that the design on them was not creative enough and not memorable enough. Each one of them could have been more distinctive. Like I get, you know, the whole gluttony coming, you know, with the mouth in its stomach and greed has extra arms for grabbing. I, I just, I think they could have gone a little bit farther in making them distinctive. Even though I'm glad that they did not look like racist stereotypes, like the comics sometimes have. Absolutely, yeah. I, you know, I will say that the depiction of the seven deadly sins were probably my least favorite part, part of the movie. Because, um, mm. again, I think it's because I think they could have gotten more creative. Um, from what I remember from the comic book, I'm not entirely sure that they were actually like things Shazam fought. You know what I mean? Like, I'm, I'm not sure. Mm. I'd, have to, I'd have to look. Um, like yeah, I think they were. Maybe they were because I'm now I'm thinking about a cartoon that I saw with Shazam and Batman. Um, but in the comic book specifically, that doesn't that doesn't feel like it rings true. Um, I'd, I'd have to look that up. I feel like they are the embodiment of things. Uh, maybe they've possessed people, um, but I'm not sure that he actually fought the demons themselves. That's I'd have to really look that up, but that there, okay. that was definitely my least favorite f- part of the film was like because uh, it's one of those things like you couldn't figure out better villains you had to basically have demons which is fine but okay yeah like I get that they're not going to be able to introduce Doctor Savannah and also you know Black Adam yeah, and yeah. I, I love the teaser with Mister Mind at the end at the end yes. of the movie where you yes. have this weird little well you see earlier when you get to the Rock of Eternity that there's a cracked glass enclosure that looks like it had a little plant growing in it which surely had been the cage of mr mind but mr mind is a evil caterpillar that wants to take over the world and is utterly utterly charming villain who in the right hands can also be really terrifying and creepy um again 52 
uh, the DC 52 series from like, I guess the year, the year 2000 wonderful work with that. But, um, that was fun seeing at the end. I mean, Barry is, you probably were not familiar with Miss, Mr. Mind. Like did that? No familiarity. I, so did this is my first anything? time hearing <laughs> the character name, Mr. Mind. First time hearing that. I certainly, yeah. I, it did not give me any pause that there was a, a small talking worm with ambitious plans. <laughs> on the, the post-credit sequence, but uh, Mr. Mind. Okay. Very formal. It's like, it's like Pinky in the Brain. Yes. Yeah, actually. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Yes. <laughs> um, so, you know, it's definitely, we know that there's going to be sequels and all that, but, and one of the reasons that I actually think I'm excited that there's going to be a sequel is one of the most important things the movie does is show that basic billy basically says this himself like power is only good when it's shared right billy shares his superpowers with his new family um i loved how they had the family would put their hands in the middle of the table Mm -hmm. uh instead of like doing grace they'd like put their hands in the middle of the table and do a cheer together before the meal like with this sort of team vibe which is really charming and felt like it might be something that would be easier but like also wise of the parents i feel like that would probably be an easier thing to get new kids to join into to build a family ritual rather than something that's more intimate maybe but anyway, and then when he has the staff and he asks the his, the siblings to come and grab it and share their powers, it's the same sort of visual with the hands coming together. Um, so he shares his powers and his siblings get powers as well. And now suddenly we have a racially diverse superhero team of youth. And um, it was really quite charming. And I, I, I was really glad to see that we didn't have just like, again, I don't know why the protagonist had to be another white boy, but at least it, the team has quickly become not one of just white boys. Uh, right, right, right. That said, though, I don't know how to feel about two tr- well, two transformations, which is Freddie Freeman getting flight is perfect because it show it sort of is like yeah he's pure of heart in the sense that he wanted he was like oh, I probably want to be invisible to use my powers, but actually he he actually is the good kid and wants flight, but like he you know he uses a mobility device to walk around and. You know, I, the fact that he suddenly doesn't have any, like he sort of drops his crutch and is, I was like, I, if I was, you know, someone from the disability activism community, I don't know how I would feel about, about that moment. He certainly doesn't need to suddenly not have, uh, to suddenly not have a walking impediment in order to fly. Like, in fact, flying is a superpower you can have perfectly well and still walk with a cane, actually. Um Wanted to jump in with uh, Kristen Lopez is a disabled film critic who had a piece in Forbes uh, called Let's Talk About Shazam's Freddie Freeman and Disabled Superheroes. She wrote, uh, hearing Jack Dylan Glazier's Freddie Freeman make jokes about his disability to a stranger he's just met perfectly illustrates the need for disabled voices in cinema. In fact, Freddie Freeman is an interesting character specifically because of his comic book history and how Shazam completely misses the opportunity to praise disabled heroes. Um, she continues later in the piece, uh, one f- One's full potential in this film is to be physically and aesthetically powerful and conventional, to be normal. Also, for a boy disabled for an uncertain amount of time, he takes to being able-bodied with absolutely no interest. His disability is nothing short of a gimmick. Shazam could have been the first to truly create something unique. Uh, uh, It's a missed opportunity to remind children with disabilities that they can turn perceived defects into assets and use them for a greater good. End quote. Uh, Definitely check out her whole essay on Forbes. Uh, Really important perspective to have on these characters and how they're portrayed in the movie. 
and then the and Pedro, um, you know, who's who, who's like a really heavy kid, when he becomes his um, super pair, is suddenly like is suddenly like more of an, you know, he, he he's like he's like thickish, but he's like a pretty idealized in the Hollywood sense male form. Right. Um, and it would have been cool to have like a grown up fat superhero, which we don't have. So yeah. I had kind of mixed feelings about that. I don't know if folks have thoughts about the, the kids' transformations. I mean, like, Pe- I'm thinking of Pedro. Like, I think our first introduction to Pedro is 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 he had left like some some weights on top mm-hmm. of like Darla's crafts. Yeah. So yeah. so even like that kind of transformation was prefigured a bit. Uh, yeah, I would love to read some some Twitter threads from. Uh, persons who more intimately experience the kinds of oppressive messaging that say you have to to work away a certain body size with with exercises, mm-hmm. or that uh, true liberation would be to not have uh, the need to use an assistive device or something like those messages are harmful, and yeah. I, I've I've friends of of both of those kinds of experiences who've expressed as much. Um, so I noticed those also. Um, and I don't know if it was just like a, like a, like a remnant of, I don't know, like 1950s, like moral values about what like the ideal member of society is or something. Like, I wonder what is in like the, the DNA, as it were, of this comic series that may contribute towards some more harmful side messages being carried across in the film. Well, um, I've always felt, um, and I'm only I'm speaking in the context of the 1930s. Uh, I always felt that you know the white superheroes oh you know regardless of who they who created them almost are the pinnacle of white supremacy not to say that they're racist not to say but just at that time just the imagery itself uh superman um he basically it's he spawned a lot of um uh, a lot of copies and you know many people can say that captain marvel was one of those copies you know so Who's to say that that type of godlike white man imagery wasn't a part of that that DNA, that vision of what Captain Marvel should have been or should be? Um, so I, I totally, totally see that, you know, this because they, they talked about uh, this was going to be Captain Marvel being the his Billy's potential. The, the, the utmost potential that he had. So what does that say for everyone else about what their potential is? Right, and they also don't have as many powers as he does, I don't think. One of the things I always find confusing about the comics, and I've actually asked a couple people about this and couldn't really get an answer, was, you know, uh, when they're transformed in the comics, Freddie Freeman um, is Captain Marvel Jr., even though, like, he doesn't become an adult when he transforms, and he stays smaller than Billy, and it feels like a teenager would be, you know, you'd be jealous, like... Why do I have less powers? Why am I smaller? It, it, you know, I, I really love the bit of dialogue actually in the movie where, um, where they like, Billy is like, well, you just wish it was you, and Freddie's like, no shit, you don't see me, and like, like, this really acknowledges that complexity of that dynamic, but um, 
I just thought it was it surprise would be surprising to me. It's unbelievable to me that there wouldn't be some resentment, even if it's somebody you love, some jealousy or something. Yeah, absolutely. And I think that the 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 part the part where they all have different powers, I felt that was a little new for me because I've always seen Captain Marvel Jr., which I've always hated that name. Um <laughs> And Mary Marvel always seemed to have the same powers, you know. Even the the old man Shazam, whatever his name was, he they all had similar powers. It wasn't like they were taking, like I, honestly, I don't know how it is that they got their powers. Yet maybe he did share it, or maybe there was some magic that that was going on. But um, that was that was I, f- I found that to be very interesting, you know how. Um, Megan Good's character, because um, I don't know what their names are going to be. Um, she mm-hmm. was just speed, you know what I mean? Or you know, it, I, I found that interesting, but I yet surprising based on what I've I've read about the Marvel family. I would say Megan Good's performance. She played um, Darla when Darla became superpowered. Was am- amazing. She did yeah. such a good job of playing yeah. a like a little girl, like yeah. particularly playing Darla. Like, mm-hmm. that was really impressive. Yeah, absolutely. I agree. Because she was playing the youngest of the characters. So mm-hmm. the difference between her behavior as a, you know, as a child and her behavior as an adult is, and her, and her age as an adult is going to be the greatest. And like, yep, she was convincing as a small kid, despite being a grown woman. You know, congratulations. Um, <laughs> so I want to talk about the, 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 um, figuring out your powers and training montage type sequences there you know that's really a consistent and important trope in these kinds of movies and in fact you know one of the ways in which freddie freeman is so helpful to to billy is that freddie is genre savvy and knows how these sequences are supposed to go um what did people think about those sequences barry do you have thoughts like the, the the sequences of of trying to test the limits of the Shazam powers and uploading yeah. YouTube those sequences yeah I yeah. Uh, I mean the the general approach of like using modern relatable technology was kind of fun to me though I I couldn't get like a thought out of my head during those scenes and this is just because my brain is so associative but uh, our like Mark Strong as as the this is a doctor in the comics, right? The, yeah, the Dr. main antagonist. Yeah, but mm-hmm. was like sort of like a psychoanalyst or something, or at least just bankrolling with with company money mm-hmm. that that project. Like I just could not get past the fact that Mark Strong looks like Michel Foucault. <laughs> oh my God, he does! Wow. Okay, mm. and he's studying signs, so. Um, wow. Keep, and keep so, going. And keep so going. YouTube is like, is like a panopticon of, of sorts of, like, this wasn't just testing out the Shazam powers in isolation, but it was more and more viewers and more and more expectations. And how might that affect these children who are trying to come to terms with this, this magical thing that has landed, uh, upon them. Um, so the, the the knowledge of like surveillance and like Foucault's theory was just in my head during those sequences. And I'm not sure I completely saw them just plainly because I was like, my gears are just spinning uh, because I'm me. 
But that's so, that's like completely legit. That's, I mean, I mean yeah, he's got the outfit. He's got the, the, the look. Wow. I think that makes a lot. Yeah. Like, I don't care about intentionality. Like, that, <laughs> that's all in there. That's all in there. Um, Anthony, what did you think about those sequences? Um, actually, I thought it, I I found that to be the one of the best parts of the film. You know what I mean? Mm-hmm. Because it was it was funny. Because uh, honestly, uh, when I look at Superman, and I'm gonna always sort of compare Captain Marvel to Superman, Shazam to Superman, is I think some of the best parts of the original Superman movie from 1978 or whatever um, was him figuring out his power even though it was a really small part of the movie where he's running against the train and sort of jumps over you know past the train and how he uses his power in every day i found those things fascinating when you look at like man of steel the the, the, this testing of the powers are not really there um so i thought it was fascinating to look at someone with godlike powers through the eyes of a child and what Mm -hmm. would be the first if you were a child what would be the first thing you do yeah i probably would get beer you know what I mean? I would probably, I wouldn't tell somebody to shoot me in the face, but, no, you know, um, that was crazy. Um, but um, I, I, I sort of enjoyed that. I think uh, a youth, the youthful way of like using social media to test powers, I saw that to be very, uh, very accurate and, and very believable. Um, and again, part of the reason why I thought this movie was really good was just, again, a youthful way of looking at stuff. He didn't just become Shazam and knew how to do a million things, you know, as we tend to see in movies. When, yeah, when I, I sequence it... Go ahead. I was just going to say that I also appreciated, like, as we talked about before, how Freddy has a, a motivation in his character to just want to be seen by people, to to disrupt the invisibility that comes yes. along with disability. And yes. it seems like he is savvy enough with the idea oh social media and like publicizing what has happened to billy might be a way to get noticed i think i think those those gears were turning in freddie's mind yes before yeah. maybe he even realized what his motivations were with with starting to broadcast yeah that's a good point i love i love that character and, and that performance were so were so good yeah i love that performance that kid was just like <laughs> really amazing. Like it definitely feels like I related to him a lot. Like feeling like a kid who a lot of people would listen to them just talk and talk and be like, "Wow, you you sure are a lot of thoughts there. We're gonna go and ignore you or whatever." Yeah, that was. Um, it also reminded me how much I hated high school, but that's oh yeah, that's another podcast. <laughs> no, but the high school scene there there was a fair amount in the high school. Yeah. 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 I just, yeah, the the whole, the, and again, I, you're right, the whole being invisible thing, you know, that I think that's completely relatable um, for someone who's either gotten bullied and, and I, I think there's a lot of topics that this movie hits when it comes to just childhood experiences, you know, particularly boys, you know what I mean? And how boys sort of, you know, uh, look at the world and how they're treated, especially if they're not, you know, popular or if they don't have a car. You know, I think those things sometimes get glossed over. I mean, even I mean, even in the new Spider-Man movie, I'm not talking about the Miles Morales one, uh, Homecoming. Um, he's not even that picked on compared to Freddy. 
You know what I mean? Freddie is yeah. really mm-hmm. sort of invisible and picked on. I mean, who picks on a kid that has a cane? I mean, that's just so it was actually a little infuriating to me, but that's high school, you know? Yeah, I mean, with his excellent parents, I kind of was hoped that if this was such a systematic problem in school, they would have, like, yeah. addressed it in some way. But I know that he's also old enough that he could be at the age where he's hiding things from them. Yeah, about absolutely. What yeah, he's that's, going through. Yeah, there's a little bit of male ego there. Like, I'm not going to tell you what's going yeah. on. Yeah. Although, ultimately, I think, like, the biggest male ego thing from the whole movie is just the fact that this is a movie about an adult man trying to prove that he's better than a child. <laughs> <laughs> absolutely. Absolutely. And it's like, no, actually, you're an asshole. Um, <laughs> right. And uh, so um, moving forward with the movie, I know that both uh, both you and I are big fans of Black Adam. Uh, we are coming on time. I'm, I'm wondering if, Anthony, if we might want to uh, do we do like a quick a quick rundown of like what we might be excited to see with black Adam in a future in a future movie. And like for people who probably have no idea who the hell this black Adam person is that we keep referring to. That'd be so, me. Yeah. Hi. Listening so, with open ears. So black Adam, I will, a quick comparison is sort of like Shazam's reverse flash. Um, he's mm-hmm. basically everything that, um, Captain Marvel isn't Shazam. Isn't, um, <clears throat> I don't necessarily push him toward evil but he is not necessarily a good person they reference him very briefly in the movie when they talk about the first champion that was picked that's black adam all right Mm. black adam was the first champion that was picked uh and in according to the comic book um the wizard was so put off by the way he used his powers that he banished him like i don't know 500 galaxies away so it takes a black adam almost two three thousand years to come back to earth um and he's supposed to come back in modern modern day times um at least that's how i've i've sort of read the origin of black adam um i also know that he has he has been casted as the rock uh dwayne johnson um which i i found fascinating and they casted black adam first but yet there's yeah. been no movie um well, but he, it's okay he's a dead it's, it makes sense. character it's like wild oh, dead ringer right. I noticed that Dwayne um, Johnson was in the credits as executive producer, and it's like, yes. oh, is that yes. her? Yes. So, yes, very, very chin scratchy. Like, yes, of course. Um, the reason why I like him is because I consider him to be sort of an antihero. Like, I, yes, he's done absolutely horrible things, but he, f- many ways, has f- found justification for those things. You know, like he is the ruler of his own land. You know what I mean? And he makes his own rules and you know i'm also a villain fan also so i just want to put that out there so um i've always just found him very fascinating as the again the anti captain marvel the i'm gonna do things my way i'm gonna save my people first because my people who have been subjugated by however many years um deserves my attention more than the rest of you humans i find that to be very fascinating I was introduced to the character in in the Fifty Two series, and yeah, um, in which yep. he's the he's the dictator of the fictional Middle Eastern country of Kandak, 
Yep. And I love he just constantly calls out hypocrisy yep. on the part of the American based superheroes. Mm-hmm. Um, like that's basically like his job. It's like it's true. Like he's not. And in the series, he's he was working to become a better man. That's like one of the themes of the series. And he, at no point does he decide that it's time to have elections, unfortunately, or doing the things that <laughs> really need to happen to transform your dictatorship. But um, but I I appreciate his running his running critique that he has of the American. Um, of the American nationalism of the of the other characters, and he challenges a lot of the readers' assumptions um, in, in a racialized way that I, I thought was really cool. Um, and uh, and he also has uh, a talking um, crocodile called Sobek, who makes a brief Easter egg appearance when they're when the kids are running around the Rock of Eternity, opening different doors. And at one point, they open up a door, and I think it's like a group of crocodiles who are playing poker around a table and like one of them gets up and begins to walk over there like bipedally and I'm like it's Sobek <laughs> um, so that was I, I, I take it back that was the most Philadelphia part of, of the movie <laughs> that was South Philadelphia like mafioso incarnate right there that was yeah oh wow that's awesome that's awesome I get, for me, another Philadelphia vote would just be like, you know, they do the whole Rocky thing with the Eye of the Tiger song, and he's like showing off. He's basically busking. He's doing superhero busking, which, you know, in New York City, superhero busking is the thing people do around Times Square. Uh, but it's got the Eye of the Tiger song from Rocky. And um, what I, I, there, actually, there's a lot of tiger imagery in this, which is good because tigers are a reoccurring imagery in, in, in the comics. Like, Talking Tawny is uh, Captain Marvel's talking tiger friend. And um, so, like, Eye of the Tiger, Talking Tawny the Tiger, and he has a tiger embroidered on the back of his backpack. He he really wants his mom to win the tiger toy. Like, he's got some real kinship with tigers as an animal. Um, and this, so when he does eventually, I presume he will, get his talking tiger, it'll be particularly resonant. And, you know, he gives the tiger stuffed animal to the little mm-hmm. girl who's hiding with her dad in the big fight scene. Yeah, I think the tiger, the tiger imagery was really sort of like for me really out there because I knew that there was a, I think it was Mister Tawny or something, um, was sort of a, a big deal in Captain in Captain Marvel universe. So um, that really was something that I, I'm glad they sort of kept. And in saying that, I'm glad there wasn't an actual talking tiger. <laughs> that would. <have> <laughs> uh. Well, thank you both for joining me. Um, is there anything we haven't had a chance to hit on yet that folks would like to say before we go? Um, the only thing I want to say, uh, referring back to Black Adam, is, is that, you know, he tried to join the Justice Society of America, which is sort of the equivalent of the Justice League. Um, so I found that to be interesting and, and more of a fascinating uh, view on Black Adam. Um, mm. Other other than that... Uh, I think that this is a movie that people should see, um, and I think it's probably one of DC's better movies because uh, I think it was just overall fun, um, and 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 again, not enough, not not too not not too much, not not enough, uh, not too much <laughs> darkness, which I think was is is a good change for DC. Awesome. Any other thoughts, Barry? Yeah, I'm just I, I appreciate a superhero movie where the jokes aren't rooted in. Like immaturity from an adult perspective. I feel like I'm not verbalizing this thought very well, but most of the jokes were, it felt kind of authentically kid like yeah. and not yeah. 
and not some uh, like adult nastiness or like pervertedness superimposed yes. onto an idea of, of immaturity. Like yeah, it seems so more it, honest. Right. Yeah, yeah, I, I can sort of um, jump off your point. No one was sexualized, which I thought was because I even I was afraid they were going to mm-hmm. sexualize Mary Marvel and they didn't. Yeah. Or Billy, right? Like, or Zachary Levi as Billy in a way, right? Like, yeah. he's because he's a child, even though he's an adult. And um, and I'll say, speaking of visuals, just like one one super striking visual of it was him jumping off the top of the building and Shang Shazam <laughs> the lightning striking him in the chest. Like, what a beautiful image! So, so you know, shout out for that moment of cinematography, at least. <laughs> Well, thank you, everyone, for joining me. Uh, do you want to let our listeners know where they can find your work on the internet or elsewhere? Um, I know I myself, I'm E-L-A-N-A underscore Brooklyn and uh, at Graphic Policy Radio and GraphicPolicy.com. Anthony? Uh, yes, uh, you can find me uh, on Twitter uh, and on Instagram under Latin Negro, uh, one N. Um, my moniker is Tony Snark. Um, I'm also on (laughs) I'm also on Facebook as well Anthony Otero excellent Barry Uh, I am very active on Twitter at the B grass T-H-E-B-G-R-A-S-S though I'm on lock right now because of a job application but soon I'll be back (laughs) to everyone can follow my inning tweets about professional wrestling um, which is really <laughs> popular amongst our fans, so that that that. Oh, very sure. nice. Uh, sure. I I also have a, a fair amount of writing you can read if you're interested in in lyric essays. Uh, and my website is berrygrass.com. B e r r y g r a s s dot com. And I'm a big fan of her essays, so folks, go check oh, it out. Thank you. Thank you all. Have a great week. And like we say, keep it geeky.